It's a lovely sort of a boiled wool jacket that one of my sisters had lent to me. Mm-hmm. It was just a beautiful <laughs> jacket. And <laughs> they bring in the baby and she vomits all over me yeah. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> which was just... This is a podcast where we talk about adoption using our own experiences as adoptees, as well as stories from others in our community. Um, I realize we haven't introduced ourselves in a while. (laughs) Very true. So I am Risa. (laughs) Risa. I'm Erica. You can't see me, but... (laughs) And just so you know, today, um, with interviewing my parents, because Risa was a name that I gave myself later in life, probably in like late high school or college or whatever, um, you will most likely hear my parents refer to me as Teresa, as well as T-Fab, Fabulous, T-Fabulous, something like that. Those are the nicknames around the Shear House. So let's go. We are so excited to have Reese's parents here today. We'll be interviewing them. We just recently interviewed my parents about their adoption process and our story. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you do. It's on up on all podcast platforms. I guess let's just dive right into it. Okay, so today we are welcoming my parents, Mary and Steven. So thank you guys for joining us today. Happy to be here. Yes, we are. (laughs) Awesome. So um, we're just kind of doing, obviously, some, I don't know, comparing, contrasting with Erica's parents' experience and everything. Um, So why don't we dive into the questions? Do you want to start us off, Erica? Sure. So I guess a little bit of background on you two how'd you guys meet kind of the relationship story how long have you been together married uh go ahead well, dear. So i'll start it uh, <laughs> so we uh we we got married a little later in life than some people we met when a week after i turned 30 and i was working in washington dc for um a politician from minnesota and actually he was a senator and he introduced us Mm-hmm. And Steve was there doing some research for a book or something, mm-hmm. his, some of his political <laughs> science research. And um, so the, my boss introduced us and said we should go out to dinner. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> and uh, I was 33, so uh, we were well along. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were not young. So we dated for what, about, you know, maybe three or four months while you were in Washington. And then he went back to Minnesota where he was teaching. Mm-hmm. And we did sort of long distance for a few months. And then we, then he came back to DC in uh, January in, with an off campus program. Yeah. So he was with what was 20 some undergraduate students, 20 some college students. And then we got engaged. So it was a fairly whirlwind courtship. And then we got married in, July. Of- she swept me off my feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> <just> so weird. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So again, we you know settled in Minnesota, and uh, yeah, that's how we got together. 
So that was, we were married in uh, 1987. So we've been married ever since. And uh, what's that, 34 years? It'll, It'll be, be 30, 34. 34 then. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 And so, and I, well, I guess I know the answer to these, but whatever. Um, individually, remind me where specifically you're from. What's your family dynamics? And then just so people can hear that, um, like dynamics growing up and stuff with like siblings. Uh, so I'm, I grew up in St. Paul or the suburbs of St. Paul and I had, I'm the number two out of six kids. So, you know, so I grew up in a very large family, lots of brothers and sisters, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they're all wonderful. So it was, yeah, it was very nice, you know, growing up in the, you know, in a big, big family up in the suburbs, had a good time. And I am the last shear. What I mean by that is uh, there were a lot of shears in Fort Madison, Iowa, where I grew up, but they were all older and very few had children. (laughs) And I was the last (laughs) one born out of that family growing up in Fort Madison, Iowa. And uh, I have an older brother uh, who is four years older than me and lives in Arizona. And uh, my parents have been Uh, deceased for a long time, but I have been in Minnesota since 1981. Were either of you exposed to adoption or foster care as a child or growing up? Well, I, I was a little bit, we had some neighbors that were adopted when I was growing up. And then my grandfather who, um, you know, who was alive until I was an adult, he, um, his, he, when he was uh, like about 18 or 19 years old, and this is like in, so 1915 or 16, it was a long time ago. um, And his mother wanted a girl and they, she had three sons who were all in their teens and they had the orphan train then. Yeah. And so his mom adopted uh, this five-year-old girl off the orphan train. And I mean, she like went down and picked her up. <laughs> it was very strange. And and so he had a sister who, but she was way younger than him. Um, but she lived in the same town he did. And I know that, that he was friendly. I think I may have met her once or twice, but not a lot. Um, but yeah, so that was my other familiarity was it with through his, his much, much younger sister. So, but not not really much. Those those two things were the only adoption exposure I had. And on, uh, I don't remember any friends of mine uh, being adopted as I grew up in Iowa. But my mother's experience is useful in this regard. Uh, when she was a child, her mother died. Her family essentially broke up, and she was given to an aunt to raise. And so she really uh, had a big family breakup uh, and essentially a, sort of a quasi-adoption experience with her aunt. Uh, and throughout most of her early life, in fact, all the way up through World War II, she was a single woman without um, strong family ties, sort of having to make her own way in the world. Uh, and that made her a pretty risk-averse individual. That was Grandma March. Grandma Marge. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so you said she was how old when her, when you said her mom died? Uh, she was about eight or nine. Yeah. Wow. When her mother died, uh, the family essentially broke up. Uh, the siblings 
moved all to different households and so forth. She went to an aunt's household. She had several siblings, but she basically was out of touch with them as she grew up and was an adolescent. So, uh, you know, she was displaced and in, in the way that an adoptee could be displaced. How soon after you got married, um, you had my sister, my older sister? Um so we had her, we, because we were older and because we both really wanted children, we really wanted to have a family. We uh, didn't mess around. We started <laughs> you know, this train rolling. And um, so I got pregnant about, hmm, I don't know, four or five months after we were married. And mm-hmm. she was born um, about 13 months after we were married. So just a little over a year after we were married, she was born. Mm-hmm. And, and that was 88. 88. And 1988. 88. And then um, with, uh, uh, and then we, you know, because we were, again, because we were older, um, about when she was about a year, we decided to try for number two. Oh. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we started that and, um I was, you know, I would have sort of where, oh, I'm pregnant again. Oh, great. But then no. And I had a lot of that for a long time, um, for a a year or more. And then we ended up going to see some infertility doctors. Uh, And they, um, you know, they did some exploratory stuff. And I don't think they ever, they never really found out why I didn't get pregnant the second time. But at, during this process, they gave me some, a drug they call Clomid, which pr- makes you ovulate. And they kept, it's one of these things where they start you out with a little bit, and then they give you a little more, and then they give you a little more. And at one point, I was getting too much. <laughs> and I had reaction. I had uh, kind of, I had a weekend where I had a lot of pain in the back of my head and I didn't, you know, I just could tell there's something going on here that's not right. And it was on the weekend. So I called them to say, you know, should I stop taking some of this? Uh, but they were out because it was a weekend. And so it was till the next Monday, I, I got a hold of them and they had me come in. And I, indeed, I was having some kind of a reaction to the medication. Um, I had a hot ovary, among other problems. <laughs> and so that, uh, that incident and that at that point, the only other option they could offer us was uh Another medication, but that medication, which I don't remember the name of it, but it was pretty commonly known among all my old friends trying to get pregnant. (laughs) That one produced lots of twins, triplets, and quadruplets. Oh, gosh. You know, no. (laughs) But the the risk, the risk to yourself to to ending up with children that were like really tiny, you know, to ending up with four kids instead of one. (laughs) The risks were so large. I just said no. And that was kind of the end. I mean, I think that was it. And then we did get um, a second opinion from another infertility doctor who, you know, I said, well, we're thinking about adoption. And he said, that's a really good option. And I took that as, okay, that's a good option. (laughs) So, (laughs) So that was kind of the end of the medical journey. And it was just 
and it was a big relief actually to get off that merry-go-round where they're playing with your hormones and whatnot. Well, and I think we did want at least two kids, and we were getting older. I was almost 40, uh, and so adoption really seemed to be a very attractive alternative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So then when did you start? So, I mean, it seems like that was kind of affirmed by that doctor, but when was it that you guys started talking about it, and, like, how did that – did it kind of come up organically, or did one of you – suggest that that's what you guys wanted to do or how did that go? I don't remember exactly, but we we didn't have any big disagreements or arguments about it. We were both inclined in that direction, so we started to do research right. to find out what mm-hmm. the options were, what, you know, what are the challenges with adoption, what are the, what are the benefits from adoption and so forth. Right. And that was in the fall. Uh, the, the the medical incident and then the, the more larger discussion of of um, adoption started sort of in the fall of 1991. 91. Okay, so um, uh, so you know it was just it was just like this just seems like a better way to go, and we started researching a couple of different options. We looked at a number of organizations that provided adoption services. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we kind of hitched up with Lutheran Social Services, which had this wonderful program in Columbia. Mm-hmm. And that just seemed like a great fit for us. They were very organized. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> we like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they, they really did run a very good program. We became part of an adoption group of, of, of potential adoptive parents. We met regularly. We did cross-cultural role-playing games uh, to sort of understand each other and understand the culture we'd be dealing with. Uh, We had a lot of conversations with these people. We learned a lot about Columbia. Uh, And I would say the experience of moving into it with that group was a lot of fun and a very positive thing. Right. It really helped other people who were going sort of, and they, everybody had a different story, you know, for some, it was their first child for some, they already had several, Right. you know, it was just, everybody had a different story, but you know, we were all kind of moving toward the same goal. And some of them were in Columbia with us adopting at the same time we were adopting. So there was that sort of shared experience. I remember uh, that we were buying emeralds together. (laughs) Oh yeah. Because <laughs> Columbia, Columbia has such as is a beautiful emerald area. Yeah, emerald mine. So, um, let's see. So that was Lutheran Social Services. Um, where are we? I guess why you had mentioned that Lutheran Social Services had a good um, program with Columbia. What were you guys ever talking about domestic adoption at all? Well, we no? talked. We looked at several adoption providers. And one of them had open adoption as one of their possibilities. But Mary can talk about it. Well, yeah. And we actually, we went and talked to this lady. Um, But we got just got kind of a weird vibe out of her. And and so we came out of that and said, nah, that's not going to be for us. And it actually turned out later she was, you know, some of the families she'd been working with, like, suitor. I mean, so it worked out that there was a problem with what she was doing. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we just said, that, you know, but you kind of got the vibe right away. This is just, there's something not right it's here. It's not that well put together a program. Yeah. yeah. And we really wanted to oh, make God. sure that whatever we were doing was on the up and up. Mm-hmm. You know, that there wasn't anything mm-hmm. shady anywhere in any of it. Right. And we did look at Children's Home, but at that time, 1992, they had only... Korea is an option. And we actually thought Colombia would be a, a more interesting and uh, and better for us than Korea. Yeah, because I speak a little bit of Spanish and it just felt more the, the travel was all in the same time zone. I mean, it was all these sort of. As someone who has been yeah. to Korea, yeah, that is yes. correct. Yes. <laughs> it just seemed like an easier option or a better option for us. Well, and I, you know, I have. I had colleagues at the college who were from Latin America. Al Montero, you'll remember, talked to him extensively about these sorts of things. Uh, And Colombia is a very interesting country with a fascinating history. So there was that, too. It's also, as you know, a physically beautiful country. So there were a lot of things about Colombia that were attractive. Interesting. So... Was Lutheran Social Services only doing Korea? They were only doing Colombia. Well, they might have been doing some domestic, but we didn't qualify a lot of times for the domestic ones. Um, What what kinds of things did you do? Sometimes it was age. They were often seeking people who were the same race, you know, for some of the kids. Um, And uh, also, I think that uh, uh, some of them uh, wanted, uh, uh, they were going to be older kids sometimes, too. With Yeah, and because we had a three-year-old, we really wanted to have a baby. A bouncing baby? Yeah, we thought that a baby (laughs) would work better since we had a three-year-old at that time. Yeah, yeah. So you were able to choose the gender and age then when you started this process? Uh, we were able to say what we preferred. Okay. Mm-hmm. You didn't really choose. Somebody else chose for you, but we were able to say what we preferred. Right. And the Udame would make the match. Right. Yeah. And we preferred a girl. A girl and an infant. Yeah. So what was your, you said that you started the conversation in the fall of 91. What was the rest? I mean, I guess I know where the timeline ends, <laughs> like a year later, but I mean, what was the process with, Kind of how that started, and like when did you guys start going well, to those groups? As you can tell, it I moved guess. very quickly. Uh, I had an information meeting yeah, in the fall about their Colombian adoptions, and they were forming a group that week to proceed with the process. I came home and oh. said, "Are we doing it? We're doing it. <laughs> you know, we're starting right now." <laughs> wow! And boom, off we went. <laughs> and that was through most. Of, that was through the winter of '92. That, yeah. that we were doing that. Winter 91, 92. Yeah. yeah that we were going to the, the meetings. And then there's, you know, as, you, as Erica's parents explained, there's a ton of paperwork involved in, in adoption general, as there should be in adoption generally, but international especially. I mean, there's just a ton of paperwork and you've got to get letters of recommendation. And, you know, they come and look at your house. Um, you know, they do all sorts of, there's all sorts of processes. You have to just kind of jump through the hoops and, you know, fill every, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's to, to get things right. Yeah. So that took, you know, most mm-hmm. of the winter and spring. Mm-hmm. And I think by, I don't know, 
May or June, maybe we were like ready to go. No, we were. Yeah, and that was just we were. Dead. Yeah, we went through the. Like, we formed the group. Say, we had our various sessions. We did a little role playing. Uh, <laughs> we get we made friends with these people, and we were all sort of as a group waiting. Yeah. And then it was up to you to me to make the assignments. Wow. Yeah. I love how they had that support. Just kind of everyone going through the same process as you. That's super mm-hmm. helpful. I think. Yeah. And I think for your parents, it was also like huge. Like, I think that's a really big thing for people to have mm-hmm. that kind of support. So then with everybody waiting, do you guys know much about the, like, did you, I guess, ever hear much about like what the matching process was for a Uname? Or I'm assuming, I don't know if they No, the only thing they said is um, they try, you know, I don't know how they do this. It's a baby, but they sort of try a little bit to match babies and parents. I don't know how they did it. We had, like I said, you had no say in that. (laughs) Here you go. This is what we got for you. Mm -hmm. Yes or no? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was, of course, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, so then considering I was born end of June, what did you, what and when did you find out about me? August 21st. Mm-hmm. I actually looked it up. We yeah. found out August 21st and we got your photo. We got your photo. And I mean, I drove up from Northfield to Minneapolis to pick up the packet because it had the photo in it. Cause you know, this is all pre internet. There really wasn't like photo sharing or anything like this. It <laughs> yeah. was like, yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, drop box the photo. We had to drive. I drove up to Minneapolis to get the picture. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, very exciting. And what a cute baby. Yes. She was something else. <laughs> <laughs> it was an extremely happy day. Very, very happy day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was. I was just gonna say, did you um did your family know at that point that you were already in the process or kind of how family and friends then well we told people what we were doing right from the beginning mm-hmm. um, and uh you know all of my siblings were totally supportive and our friends were were wonderful mm-hmm. um you know the grand the, the the older generation there were some qualms mm-hmm. among i think all of them Mm-hmm. There were three at that point. My parents and Steve's mom were still alive. Mm-hmm. And there was some, you know, some qualms. But, uh, you know, I think we were, like I say, we were in our 30s. I mean, your mom and dad aren't going to tell you what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. So, you know, they had some qualms. But I think uh, in my family, at least, I, my sisters really did a good job of talking to mom and dad. And, uh, you know, everybody, people were very, very happy by the time baby showed up. They were super happy. And who wouldn't be, you know, who wouldn't be excited? Well, and my mom was quite wary because I said she was very risk averse. She was a widow living alone. She'd spent a lot of her life living alone, except for marriage to my father. And uh, and had dealt with a lot of difficult circumstances growing up during the Depression. So she was wary of this. But as soon the first moment Teresa was in her arms, oh, she God. did a 180 <laughs> and, and was totally sold on Teresa. It was like <laughs> boom. over. Yeah, just boom. It just like the light switch went on as soon Aww. as she, she, she was holding you, Fab. <laughs> so... 
Was she um, like pretty worried when you guys were, guys were traveling? Yes. Oh, they all were. They were all worried. <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> you also have to understand that Columbia at that time was much less secure than it is now. In, in 1992, right. um, when we've uh, just an example, when we uh, visited, uh, when we were staying there for the first time with Teresa, w- with Teresa, we were in a, uh, a, a hostel de Bogota. It was on a square. And on the square, on each end of the square was a pillbox with a man with a submachine gun in it. That was security in the neighborhood. Yeah. That's so common. They were military on every corner, pretty much. Yeah. 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 And that was actually, I mean, that was considered at the time, I I guess it's not as good a neighborhood now as it was then, but at the time it was considered quite a nice neighborhood. It was a nice neighborhood. It was. But there was always security. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Teresa, mom would take you on your stroller around the square and those guys would be protecting you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, let me see. So I have questions about just like the home checks and everything. Did you guys just have one and like I'm just always very curious about like what that's like. Like, were you guys super nervous for that to happen or no? I, I think we were nervous, but we really didn't need to be. I mean, basically, I think she was just checking to make sure we weren't living in squalor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really, she came in, she looked at the house, she counted the bathrooms and things like that. I mean, she did things like that and then, you know, talked to us for a little bit and that was it. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just to make sure you were, you know, not... Uh, you know, running any crime operations out of your house or anything like that. <laughs> that we were honest and functional adults, yeah, which, which we were. There we there go. We <laughs> <laughs> and then besides that, with like the paperwork and stuff, um, I know people have to write like uh, letters, or letters of recommendation. Who wrote yours? Um, well, Julie wrote one. Yeah. Mike, but I have a good friend. Who wrote a letter? Somebody from work wrote one. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not certain who it was. One of my colleagues, I think, from yeah. the political science. And there department. was a third one. And I, it wasn't it like maybe was, it was baby one of our sisters, maybe my sister Ellie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, they were just people who knew us really, and that's all you had to have. I think it might have been the Kellys. Oh, yes, it was the Kellys. The and they Kellys. wrote a beautiful letter. Yeah. Yeah. So, are, you know, these are longtime friends of ours. Yeah. And they are. They the, are, are uh, Teresa's sister's godparents. Parents. Yeah. So it was, it was that, that part. I mean, again, it was, there's a lot of paperwork to it, but it's just like you mm-hmm. do it, you know, as your mom said in the other interview, you do it one piece at a time and you just, you know, you do it. And, but it went pretty fast, as I say. I mean, it really uh, from the fall until uh, until uh, the next August. fall, boom. Yeah, the whole yeah. process. Yeah. So, what challenges, if any, did you face during the adoption process? Well, I mean, we talked about this last night. I mean, the main one is just being patient, <laughs> because and really dealing with a situation where you are not in charge. Right. And you have no idea what's really going to happen, you know, sure. you've never done this before. Uh, and uh, you don't know uh, who's coming into your house. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you don't, I mean, you don't know it. And there were people who we knew who had some disappointments, although I think some of that was because they, they created expectations for themselves. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have created. Mm -hmm. Um, And then things Mm -hmm. didn't work out and then they were unhappy and stuff like that. But we worked the, the hardest part uh, was just being patient and accepting you didn't control this process at all. Right. <laughs> so. And also living in Northfield, there are a lot of adopted kids in Northfield than there are mm-hmm. now. And so it was not as if we were doing something that was unheard of. Unusual, yeah. uh, because there were adopted kids that other faculty members had at my school, friends of ours we knew who had adopted kids. Uh, it was uh, it wasn't seen as something extraordinary. Uh, so I guess let's talk about the trip, because um, I know it, this is a big difference between Erica's parents and you guys that you did one trip versus or they did one trip and you guys mm-hmm. did two. Um, what was the timeline for those as far as, because I think you guys went together the first one and then just mom right. the second? Right. When was the we first We left trip? on August 31st. So we found out the 20th. Oh, my so gosh. So we left 10 days later. Boom. Boom. <laughs> we're moving, Teresa. We were moving. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I did not realize it was that fast. So we went, so August 31st, we left. Where else? The, maybe that's the day we picked you up but we about about 10 days later we left and um we were there for a week and did the initial paperwork and had Teresa with us yeah you stayed with us in our uh in our room Mm -hmm. at at the hostel for a week well we did all the initial you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of you you know when you go there's a lot of signing papers there's just Mm -hmm. a lot yeah Mm -hmm. um and we did all that and then um, we did not bring Teresa's sister with us because she was three and she had some health issues. And so we were there for that week and then we went back, mm-hmm. which was kind of hard. Uh, yeah. And then we were home for about three weeks, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, two and wow. a half, three weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I came back by myself and was there for another two weeks roughly. at the hostel, the hostel back at the hostel with Teresa and that till the end of the process. Mm-hmm. And then that was, and then we came back on October 6th, mm-hmm. the arrival. And then, so then what was the, I feel like you and I vaguely talked about this recently when we were discussing this was the second trip planned to be that long? You know, what happened is we, we don't, you don't, you don't know how long it's going to take. Because I, I as Erica's mm-hmm. mom talked about the fast judges and the slow judges, yes. I don't think we have a fast judge. Um, so some people, it took, you know, we were thinking, well, it'll be three or four weeks, maybe five. And it just got a little longer. And I just didn't want to stay away from you that long, Teresa, to be honest. It's very hard. I mean, it's hard when you've got one kid in one place and one kid in another place because mm-hmm. you want them both together. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't what it was at the time. And so... That's the way we worked it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just said, I got to go back. And I went back. And it was good. I'm glad I did. <laughs> well, I have uh, vivid memories of our meeting at a Udeme. I was going to say, I want to hear, because it's kind of embarrassing to, to myself, but also hilarious. 
and just very fitting. So if you guys can tell that story about meeting me the first time. (laughs) We were driven to Udemy, which was in its previous location. I don't think it's where it's moved since then. No. But Clementia mm-hmm. was the head of Udemy, and her staff met us. And Clementia is an imp- impressive woman who really is in charge and knows what's going on. And uh, we uh, went through uh, 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 certain questions. They talked to us a bit. And then uh, in comes Teresa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So she comes in, and they, and of course, this is a big formal occasion. So we're all dressed we're dre- up. Yes, I had wearing, coat and tie. She's and wearing a suit, and yeah. I'm wearing this lovely. It's called the fabric. Play. It's a lovely sort of a boiled wool jacket that one of my sisters had lent to me. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful <laughs> jacket, and. I didn't know that. <laughs> they bring in the baby, and she vomits all over me yeah. <laughs> right off the bat, <laughs> which was just hilarious. Everybody yeah. laughed, and then they kind of helped clean it up, and it was just, you know, making herself known. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> Teresa says hello. <laughs> but they, it was very cute. <laughs> oh, my God. Gosh, I forgot at one point, and now hearing it, it's just like, oh man. Oh my gosh. It's so funny because there's like a page in my baby book that's literally of the women in the at Ayudame trying to get this stain out of my mom's jacket while they're just kind of like, nice to meet you, but let's uh clean this up. Sorry. And the jacket was borrowed, it's not even yours. Well, it was mine after that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So you had mentioned my sister's uh, reasons for not going along. Um, Obviously, just for that first trip. She was obviously with dad for the second. What was, I guess, that I'm assuming the first time you had been away from her for longer than a what oh, maybe a couple hours or a day. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we'd ever been away from her. I don't know why you would have. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? And because she stayed with um, Aunt Ellie, correct? Yeah, she stayed with my sister and her husband, who had no children at the time. Oh, that's right. Now they have four. They have four now. <laughs> no. She was actually pregnant with her first one uh, when Anne was there, and so um, they. Uh, you know, they took care of her. And actually the whole family, my whole family took care of her. My mom and dad spent time with her, uh, Ellie and my other sister, Susie spent time with her. I mean, you know, they really took care of her and she was, she was fine. I think she was, you know, not happy that she hadn't been included, but she was fine. Well, she was three, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Well, she was four at that point. She had just turned four. four. Yeah. At that point, mm-hmm. yeah. still that's so hard yeah. to travel internationally with someone so young. At least my brother was six, so he kind of you know had a yeah right two years. Yeah, huge difference. It is, and I think if she had been six, we probably would have done it a different way. Right, but th- that that yeah. age and given some other issues, it just did not make sense to to try to bring her. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and Mary's family was quite willing to yeah. help. And that's the other thing we had. We were very fortunate. We had a big family. We had a lot of wonderful friends in Northfield. We had a lot of people who helped us. Yes. Yeah. So were there any um, special documents you had to bring to have Risa come home with you or the flight home? 
were you nervous on that or was it kind of like a relief coming home? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was, it was, of course it was nice. It was really nice to come home. It was big, you know, um, it was a very, you know, you're in this, we should talk a little bit about the whole situation of being in a hostel with other families. So we had other families and the first time we were there, there were a bunch of Americans there, right? which was nice. Uh And then the second time I was there, most of the people were actually from Denmark. Adopting. Adopting kids to go back to Europe because Colombia was very popular with Europeans who were adopting. So Mm -hmm. it was a little, for a long time, I was the only American there. Oh, wow. And then some lady who was from Duluth came <laughs> and we, and it was kind of like, Oh, I've been speaking this other language for a while. And now I can speak my native tongue. <laughs> from Duluth. That's so, funny. so it is a little unusual being in the, in the hostel, but we were lucky. We got to go to different parts of Columbia and see different things um you know what was the well when when i was there with the first trip um there were th- mary and two other adoptive mothers and the babies this includes you so. uh uh and i was sitting in the front seat and we had a driver and we drove up into the mountains to lake noosa and went through some small colombian towns i can remember seeing bunch of kids in school uniforms walking in the streets and everything and it was beautiful and then we had a wonderful lunch uh, yeah. uh out in out in the mountains of Colombia. yeah uh and uh i that that's a very vivid memory for me it was really nice yeah and on another one dad was not there i went with a group they, i mean they did try to because you're there and you're just taking care of a baby and you're just there and you're not in your own environment it's they did really try to, you know, give you something to do once in a while. Sure. Because there were also, you know, there were maids and things in the hostel. So they didn't even want you to, like, make your own bed, hardly. I mean, it was, it was you didn't do any cooking. You didn't do your normal daily thing. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. It's like you're a lady of leisure for a few weeks. And um, so we did also go on a trip to a coffee farm. You weren't there. No, you no. didn't go with me on that one. With cool. a group of people, we went and we drove out and went visited a coffee farm, and again had lunch at a wonderful restaurant. There's some really good food in Colombia. Oh yeah, really delicious food. Well, and the uh, woman who was working in Colombia, who was basically our guide and host, Elena, was a very smart, very able woman. Uh, and uh, I was very interested in Colombian politics and and society, and we had long talks about that. Uh, we, oh. we asked her about the concept of arasca, which in Colombia means it, it's a it's a, like a big donut, but it's also a metaphor for your network, your social network, your group of friends. He, she said the worst thing about arasca is not having one. Is what she told me. <laughs> So we we got at least a little bit of a peek into life in Colombia. Well, and we met with her daughter, too. We went to a coffee place with her daughter and talked about Colombia and, you know, the rebels and the government and all that. And it was really very interesting. So you said, I'm sorry, I'm just like still stuck on this. The Orozca, that was a type of donut, you said? It's like a big circular uh, pastry. And everybody has Orozca. (laughs) 
you know, which means you've got your circle of friends. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's where my affinity for donuts comes from. Right? Yeah, you know, there you go. They're actually more kind of croissanty. Yeah. I mean, they're like a flaky pastry. Like a cronut? <laughs> yeah, like a cronut. Tasty. So. But I had read about that in a book about Colombian society before I came down. So I asked huh. her, what about the concept of Roska? And she explained it all to me. It was something she was quite familiar with. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's a fascinating. And there's some beautiful architecture in Bogota, which we got. And we went to the Gold Museum, I remember. Oh, that. the Gold oh, Museum. I remember seeing those pictures. Yeah. Quite amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very interesting place. And we got, like I said, a very tiny peak at some aspects of culture and the nature, of course, the, the nature around Columbia is just... Well, and we have two little Botero figures on our mantle that we bought in Colombia in 1992, as well as that small Colombian bus that we bring out which, every which Christmas. Erica's parents have that, too. From our, when we first uh, came to <laughs> Colombia. Yeah. Um, so then you guys, you went home. It was just uh, mom. It was just you in Colombia that brought me home. Did you have, you had a layover in Florida, I believe? I had, yeah. So we left, uh, I think I must have left the hostel about 6.30 in the morning. It was a long day because, you know, you've got to go through customs. You know, you're leaving a country and you're taking a human being with you. So you <laughs> have to have all sorts of the paperwork and everything like that to do that. You had to have your little Colombian passport because mm-hmm. you were a Colombian citizen. Mm-hmm. Um and so we, you know, we had all that paperwork to get to get on the plane. And then I think the flight probably left around nine o'clock in the morning. And there was a layover in Miami for quite a long time. And then we had a layover in St. Louis. Oh. Then we finally came into Minneapolis at about, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Oh, gosh. It was Really nice because that's back, you know, this is pre pre 9-11. So you could yep. go back to the gate, especially if it was late at night and wasn't crowded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we pulled off that we were the, like, there were like five people on the plane and the stewardess came in and said with the lady with the baby, you want to go off first? Because oh. we had let Steve and our daughter come down into the, into the little room. We were right at, the, right at the door. And then with the, and our my family was there. It was really and they had nice. a big sign. Did welcome to oh, really? Yeah, they had a welcome so, sign. Was, <laughs> so it was there's a wonderful picture of you looking like what the heck? <laughs> I'm sure you still think that. <laughs> no, no, I mean. <laughs> so yeah. So it was, uh, was uh, you know, really, you know, you're really, really happy to be home. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah I bet. Back in your normal life. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, I should mention one thing about our trip. Uh, our first trip, uh, we had a point of maximum danger, mm-hmm. I thought. And it happened when we got into the Bogota airport. We had Colombian money. We had currency. We had paper money. Uh, and we were supposed to be met by a driver. So we come out of all the secure areas, and there's a guard with a submachine gun <laughs> guarding that area. Uh, and our our driver is not there. Not there at all. We just walked in, and and we have a phone number for Helena, who's going to be our host, but we don't have any coins. 
to use the phone. Oh, no. So the guard gives us money, yeah. gives us some coins. And we call, this is at oh night. It's at night, you know, and we're standing oh next God. to this guy with a submachine gun. He gives us money. Nice. And we call, yeah, we called Helena and she said, he's not there. What? What's going on? So, and so she takes care of it. And in about a half hour, the guy shows up and. Yeah. Whew. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We were okay. I think. Yeah, but <laughs> so, you know, you, we, <laughs> you come into Columbia at night, there's a guy with a gun and he gives you money. Very nice. Very nice. Boy, well, what if, you know, uh, I don't know what we would have done because uh, no one else was in that area if yeah. he hadn't helped us. Yeah, he was very nice. Gosh. Yeah. Pre cell phone days, also. <laughs> Yeah, yes. you bet. Yes, it's, it's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are there any concerns you had or have as your child, as Risa grew up? Um, well, yeah. I think we wanted, we, we didn't want to hide adoption mm-hmm. from her at all. We wanted her to understand that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And we wanted her to have a positive feeling about Columbia, about yeah. where she was from. Mm-hmm. Um, so which was little, we did have, there was a Colombian group that continued to meet occasionally. I mean, you know, once a year we'd have a Colombian picnic Columbian and we'd picnic. go to that. Um, you know, I think, uh, the oh, only- wait, tell, tell the story about me with your, with my your hand on my back. Oh, <laughs> Well, yes, actually, because I listened to the episode from with the psychologist that you interviewed, which is a great episode, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she mentioned about trying to, you know, giving people what they needed. Mm-hmm. And so when Teresa was little, uh, she, you know, she really needed a, a little more physical a touch and attention. And she would be, you'd put the little, you know, you're putting the little baby to bed and I'd put her in the crib and I'd put my hand on her back for a minute. And then I'd lift my hand up and it would be, you know, just a little cry. So I was like, okay, put the hand back down. <laughs> she goes right to sleep. You lift it up. Put the hand back down. And I mean, sometimes it would be, 20 minutes standing there trying to get her to go to bed and and uh some people said wow she has really got used you've she's really training you (laughs) well maybe it's what she needs so what she needs okay you know and so that was uh her one (laughs) quirk as a baby but (laughs) our older daughter was a pretty easy baby in terms of sleeping and things like that as a baby. And uh, so Teresa was not. <laughs> she was up, you know, several times a night. And she was up like two times a night till she was almost two. And she was, she really put us through our paces. And of course we were old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were old at oh. this point. Um, <laughs> and my sister, one of my sisters said, wow, I'm so glad you finally got a real baby. <laughs> so, well, and uh, uh, people may know Teresa has quite a, uh, uh, a strong singing voice. And that was true when she was young and upset. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, she could really rattle the window pane. 
Steve used to call her the, the opera singer. Yeah. Well, even before she liked opera, she was singing. <laughs> no, but, but in terms of growing up, I mean, we wanted her to be, to feel you know, good about who she was, about where she, just what every parent wants. They want their kid to feel good about who they are and where they come from and yep. what their talents are. Uh, you know, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were lucky in Northfield that there were a lot of, uh, there were international people mm-hmm. and there were, you know, there were just a lot of different family configurations. And I think there was a little bit of, there was more acceptance of that. Yeah. Although we could tell time the Columbia dancers came to school. Do you remember that? No, not at all. Well, at one point, there were some Columbian visitors to Teresa's elementary school. And um, it was either a teacher or some dancers, I can't remember, they came to her class and were, you know, talking about Columbia and all that. And Teresa said to the teacher, I'm from Columbia. And (sighs) The teacher was like, oh, no, no, you're from here. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. And she just, like, wouldn't believe you. It just it surprised me because I thought they all knew that you were adopted and you were from Columbia, but maybe not. Maybe not. And so afterwards I had to call her and go, yeah, you know, she <laughs> is from Columbia. She is from Columbia. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm like, from Columbia. She's like, no, you're not. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Well, and I also remember I had a student at the college who was from a Colombian family, Martha Vialba. She's now a medical doctor in Chicago. Uh, but I had her and her family over when you were two years old at her commencement. And you met a oh. Colombian family in our house. But you were two, you know. So yeah. you. Yeah. But they really got your hair, Teresa. Because <laughs> we were saying, it's complicated. Yeah. We don't get you. Know, this hair is something because it was very curly and all that. They said, yeah, that's Colombian hair. <laughs> seeing Erica? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Did you guys have any like books or resources either when you were looking to adopt as far as like good? you know, things like for potential adoptive parents or that you read later in life that were helpful? Well, I uh, read up on Columbia, you know, before you arrived, because I was really interested in the society and politics of Columbia. So there are a lot of books out like that, that really helped me to understand the country I was going to be entering. And then our guide was a wonderful resource too. And it gave me a real context for the, the world you came from. Right. And in terms of raising an adopted child, I mean, I think I had I had a couple of books like that. I don't remember. I think one of them was called Raising Your Adopted Child or mm-hmm. something like that, yeah. which were kind of like basic, you know, these are things to do. These are things not to do. Kind Dr. Of Spock. On well, it was not Dr. Spock. It was somebody else. But, <laughs> but that, you know, other than that, uh, not really a lot, you know, and again, again, it wasn't like you'd have to go to the library to get the book. It wasn't like there were tons of online resources on adoption or podcasts on adoption. I mean, there wasn't that kind of stuff available. No Colombian influence back then. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Do people ever ask odd questions regarding having a daughter who is adopted or adopted from Colombia, anything like that? 
Well, I think the oddest thing was when the teacher wouldn't <laughs> accept that you were from Columbia because uh, no, not really, because, uh, as I said, Northfield's got a big international atmosphere about it. And so uh, there was nothing unusual about having an adopted child from another country. Um, and uh, I don't ever remember having awkward situations. No, and it also it was a small town. Yeah. So, like, people knew that we had adopted a child from Columbia. People knew that that it was in the paper. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think yeah. I remember this being in the paper, actually. Yeah. Like, you're showing yeah. it to me. So it's not like, you know, it was a small town, but it also was a cosmopolitan town. And in some ways, it was really, I think, as good as you could get mm-hmm. for, for raising a yeah. cross-cultural child, you know, someone who's yeah. adopted from a different country. Right, because you had good schools. It's a safe place, uh, accepting of international identities. Uh, and then your child's a celebrity in the local paper. I mean. Well, <laughs> when she was like four months old. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, really, there haven't been. I've never. I don't think I've ever had an adult ask an odd question. I've once in a while had a when you were little. Occasionally, a kid would say something I thought was odd, but not an adult. And that was usually the kid trying to figure out what, what yeah, this was about. Yeah, they just didn't understand yeah. what things yeah. were. Yeah. But well, I don't think we ever ran into any adults who were not understanding of our situation. Yeah. Hmm. Or not caring about our situation, yeah. which is even better. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So. Were there any things that you realized, like, that were troublesome, like, as far as, like, how people view adoption that, like, um, you know, something that you would wish people would like realize about adoption, anything like that? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I just think, uh, you know, some, <laughs> some people, I'll say this, some people go to great extremes to reproduce themselves. <laughs> you know, they'll do in vitro. A, they cetera, do a lot of medical, a pro- lot of medical procedures. They spend a lot of money to reproduce their own genetics. And you know what? You don't have to do that. I mean, I just think that there's a, that adoption is a great option for building a family, and people ought to just consider it. So I don't know. I think it's a great way to build a family if you're, you know, if you're having infertility problems or if just your preference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think people are, and I think people are pretty accepting of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and especially because w- when we adopted you, the programs were really good. Mm-hmm. They were straight. They were up mm-hmm. and up. They were doing things by the book. You know, there wasn't every party in in the process was being protected. The birth mother was being protected. You know, mm-hmm. nobody was told you're going to have this baby until the birth mother had signed off. Mm-hmm. So every party of the process was protected, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of that you have to have that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, even back then, and I think more so even now, Minnesota has invited has been a center of international adoption, and uh, th- it had developed an infrastructure even back then that made it work very well. I should mention one other thing we did uh, the last the last night we were in Colombia the first time, and we had had to move you back to Ayudame, uh, Helena arranged for us to go to a really wonderful restaurant on the top of a mountain. 
you had to take a tram up to, or you had to drive all the way up, and then you had this great view of the city of Bogota. And she said she did that because that last night when you're leaving, your baby is a sad night. So have a good (laughs) And I still have a book of matches from that restaurant. (laughs) That's so cool. That's awesome. I guess we do have a question from our listeners. Um, Did you ever think about not going through the proper channels to adopt? No. No. (laughs) Not for one minute. (laughs) Just to to me, that would be both unethical and immoral, as well as, you know, really dangerous to yourself. So no, not for a minute. (laughs) And that's why we uh, turned down that one agency that we didn't we didn't have a f- good feeling for how they operated, and it turned out that our suspicions were accurate. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Do you know what it was, like, specifically that they were eventually, like, sued for? Like, what types of unethical things they were doing? Were, they were promising people children they didn't actually have yeah. for adoption yet. I mean, it was just, I think they were taking in more... And they weren't fulfilling their obligation. I don't, you know, I guess I don't remember. Maybe I shouldn't say what they were doing, but they were, they were sued for some. Well, our impression of Udeme was very positive through the whole process. They seemed to be very competent. Uh, it was a really good facility, very able people. Um, and uh, uh, I think we had a very positive impression of Udeme. Yes, and of Lutheran Social Services yes. here in Minnesota. Yeah. I think that's just a top-notch organization. I don't know how much adoption they're doing nowadays, mm-hmm. but they were great, mm-hmm. really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're basically the other. The only other question is wondering about like if you always wanted. Well, I guess this is kind of more question like um, if either of you had like thought about adopting prior to you know the situations that arose that made you adopt. Were either of you like thinking about that prior to getting married and like actually having to try having kids or anything like that? You know, I mean, because I was getting kind of old <laughs> and <laughs> those days, I mean, I had thought, boy, I really want to have a kid. I mean, I, and so maybe I had thought a little bit about it in that, but very much in passing and not really, mm-hmm. you know, and that'd be before I even met Steve. So, right. Uh, I think we can say that she is a very committed mother. <laughs> And Teresa will testify to this. Yeah, yes, I will. I'm, I'm in your business. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I think that's like as much questions, right? I think as we had. Do you guys have any other things you want to mention, or Erica? Any other questions? No. Okay. Good. Well, just that we think that uh, your podcast is really providing a service to a lot of people. So keep up the good work. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are great. All right. Well, I guess that kind of concludes everything um, with our interview. So thank you guys again for joining us. And I'm going to come over and you're going to make me dinner soon, probably. Well, right. <laughs> Happy to do that. It'll happen. I hope I get to meet you in person sometime. I know. Meet you soon, please. Soon. I <laughs> as soon as the pandemic allows. Yeah. Yes. The two Rudame stars. There they are. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys again. Love you guys. Bye-bye. So we just finished up our interview with Risa's parents. Risa, how do you feel? I guess you kind of knew the background a little bit, but just hearing it again and having them say it to your face, I guess it's kind of a different aspect of it. You know, having me here, having it live on a podcast for the world Mm -hmm. to hear. What are your thoughts? I feel like it's, it was kind of like the adult version of when my mom would go through my baby book with me because mine is huge. Like, because it's like their trip to Columbia and it's mm-hmm. about, you know, you know how like kids, like sometimes it includes like their birth story as far as like, uh, like pictures of their mom when they're pregnant or something like that. Like mine right. was so, there was so much more involved, obviously, like we've both experienced now talking to our parents as far as the details of that. So it's like, there's so many more pictures that come from this, you know, from this experience being like the sightseeing, the trip that uh my parents took together then the trip my mom took and the stuff she did with me and then meeting me bringing me back from the airport you know like all of those kinds of things is so much more involved so it's like uh we did you know we have that big picture book at my parents house and like that is kind of what I would occasionally my mom would go through it and tell me the story when I was a kid mm-hmm. I feel like this was just such a like I said it's kind of the adult version of that where it's like we were able to just kind of talk about it again and revisit it. Cause obviously I'm not, my mom isn't reading me stories before bed right now. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like, I haven't had a chance for that story to be told in that same way, especially with some other details that we had about just the process of adoption. Like I haven't heard that story probably in at least like 15, at least 15 years, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I just thought it was interesting how they looked at um, children's home society Mm-hmm. and they only had Korea at that time. Mm-hmm. But then a year and a half, maybe even just a year later, when my parents started the process in 93, end of 93, they had 18 countries to choose from. Yeah. So it grew in a crazy amount of time, and how Lutheran Social, Service, Social Services only had Colombia. Mm-hmm. It's just very interesting how things have evolved and changed even just in our times with two years apart yeah yeah exactly yeah there's definitely a lot of differences to it and I think it's um I I don't know I feel like the for both of our interviews with our parents it's been very affirming just hearing like their the support that they got from like their friends and family I think it's just so like you know nice to hear that they had that kind of support going on, you know, cause it's like, it is a complicated thing. It's stressful. It's scary. Um, my mom is so like such a realist <laughs> that it's like, she is not the type that would have like unrealistic expectations going into stuff. So like, she's very grounded. And like, I think that just, you know, that my dad is super factual. And I think just those two being able to go through this was like, I don't know. Doesn't, doesn't seem like there was a lot of hiccups or, you know, anything that was really emotionally like stressful or anything. Yeah. I think the hardest part, I mean, for anybody is just not having that control and having all of those unknowns. I could not imagine my anxiety would be like, (sighs) yeah, 
That would be really tough. I didn't realize it had been, it was about three weeks that they were home. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And to have to leave you, you know, again, I, I I guess we didn't get too deep into that, but I, I I would imagine that was super difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause then I think the next time when she was back, I was at least, what'd you say about two weeks, I think. Yeah, and then, I mean, she couldn't really stay away from you. That's why she went back, so that was sweet. <laughs> I know, I kind of forgot some of those stories. I mean, obviously, I know that I met them and I barfed immediately because yeah. that's just how I make Are an we, entrance. Let's, can we redo this? Um, I would have been like, oh! I would have been like, this is quite the intro. Yeah, all right. Because, you know, you and I both hate throw up doing it, seeing it, uh, anything yep, yep. with it. <laughs> I have a phobia of it. Yes. A phobia of it. And I think I would, oh my God, I would just cry right there. Not because I'm happy, because I'm just so freaked out. <laughs> well, what an entrance. I know, right? <laughs> like, of course that happened. Like, that, I would do that. Not even surprised. Leave it up to you. Coming in with a grand entrance. With a bang. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a really good interview. I feel like we, I think, again, we've talked about this before, but doing it at the age we're at and the stage we at, are at in our lives and in our own adoption processes and kind mm-hmm. of coming out of the fog, doing different researches and having these support groups, I think this was the perfect time to fully understand it and kind of cope with it in such a positive way. Yeah. And I think also just the fact that we are at a really, really exciting point of our podcast and this project and everything. And the fact that we get to share this story with people that aren't firsthand friends with us, you know, like it's people that only know us from the podcast. And I think it's a little bit more removed that way rather than just being like, Oh, we're talking to Mary and Steve today. It's like, Oh, Reese's parents, you know, and obviously kind of reverting back to these certain types of identity that I mentioned, you know, in the coming out of the fog with my name, for instance, which I just realized we forgot to mention that Um, my, because my birth name was not kept. Um, It's my middle name. However, Um, my birth name was Amaranta. So thank my parents for not keeping that because that would have been a challenge. Even Teresa, I think was like, because people couldn't spell it and it really bothered me. Um, and they kind of tried to do the same kind of thing as uh, a lot of adoptive parents by keeping a name, having a little bit of that Latin spin, you know, something like that, just to keep your identity and not name me something like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, like something like Brittany or something like that just doesn't, but no. So, I mean, they kept that and Amaranta is now my middle name. And, um, one thing I always liked as a kid growing up uh, learning this was that my my birth name, Amaranta, means flower that never fades. And that's something that I just like always really liked. And um, I love it. Oh. <sighs> yeah, that was fun. I'm glad we could do these back to back. And oh, my gosh, sometime this summer, there will be a time when we can get together with our parents yeah. and we can do a little party <laughs> together and get to know each other and talk about Columbia and how successful their children are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Well, I guess as always like our social media at Colombian influence and C O L O M B I A N just have to mention that again. Yes. 
Yes. I was just about to spell it because no one spells it correctly. So get it right. Yeah, get it right. Check out our new website. Um, send any comments or questions to us. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Yes. Got a lot of exciting things coming up this spring. So look out for that. Until next time. Later. Bye. Oh, God, best song ever. <laughs> <laughs>